Hello. Good morning. Welcome, friends. Oh, I'm getting all the notifications that we're live, we're live, we're live, we're live. Well, all right. Must have so, done something right for once. So we are live. Good morning, everybody. Oh, goodness. Now I've got water on the stuff. Water yep. and electronics don't usually work. Well, it's not the electronics. It's on the Bible. So. Oh, well, that's not that great either. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, it was a leather cover, so it wipes off easily enough. Okay. The home of professional podcasting. We are indeed the home of professional podcasting. So you made the the big trek to come down to the church building today. I did. We are in the same building. You traveled the two blocks to to do that. We're we're getting closer and closer. (laughs) We're testing our our limits. Uh, Anyway, as we uh, (laughs) as we look at this, you know, whole COVID nineteen thing. And the responses to it that that are happening, there's so many extremes, you know, with and you were just mentioning as you came in the building that we've got some businesses here in Michigan that that may resent some of the governor's uh, directive. And we've got other folks who are are really still, you know, panicked and, and very concerned. So there's there's this great um dichotomy or it's really a diversity there's kind of a continuum along the way that where there's there are folks that are wanting to to uh, be pretty tight on how we handle it but not really fearful Mm -hmm. uh and and others who maybe um don't think it's as bad as as what other people might say um maybe maybe fall into some of the I don't know. We got folks that are all the way on the conspiracy theory end that uh, this is something that was put out by the Chinese or put out even by the U.S. government that um, you know deliberately pushing <laughs> pushing the envelope and right. uh, trying to trying to establish government overreach. And uh, as I, I mentioned to your sister yesterday, we she does not take that perspective. I don't want to make it sound like she does, but <laughs> as I was talking to her yesterday and they. The government always, the government agenda will always be overreach. That's the nature of government. So uh, that's why we have the separation of powers and checks and balances that we have to establish things like that. But we do see a lot of different responses, which actually is what we're talking about in the book of Acts. Specifically two responses. (laughs) And really, regardless of the number of responses, you know, because we might see in this particular passage in Acts chapter 8 verses 9 to 40, um, we are looking at two responses specifically, uh, but there are any number of different ways that people might respond to the gospel. Ultimately, it comes down to two, no matter how you spin it, true or false conversion. Right. And so when we look at the... um, That takes many different, that can take many different forms. Right. The details can look different. There are a lot of different... uh, forms of of religious expression mm-hmm. um, and there are different ways of expressing our uh, our faith in Christ but ultimately when we're talking about our, our response to the gospel we are either receiving it on God's terms we're approaching God on his terms or we're approaching God on our terms and right. then we, we're not saved so when we see um, 
in in Acts chapter nine, the picture of uh, Simon the sorcerer, Simon Magus, uh, this mage, so to speak, uh, who is amazing the people with all of his um, spells and tricks and divinations and powers, so-called. Uh, the people are amazed by him and he gets this form of, of fame or celebrity um, and, and there's a platform that allows him to have a lot of influence and presumably gain some fortune through that as well. Uh, but then we see the picture after that of uh, the Ethiopian official, uh, this eunuch from Ethiopia who had come to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home and was reading the book of Isaiah and the spirit leads Philip to him. Um, and he already has authority, but not, uh, not the celebrity kind of authority that Simon has. But he understands what it means to actually have some um, uh, position, some rank, to be able to uh, give orders and have people obey and be expected to obey. He, uh, he, he gets those things. When he sees this picture of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, he doesn't understand it until Philip explains it to him. And then he's captured by what he experiences through the scriptures, not by what he experiences through his senses as he is, um, as he's encountering Christ dying for our sins, that these prophecies from seven centuries before this time, talking about the Messiah who would come, who, who would bear our burden, who would take our sin, die in our place, that, strikes him and he sees a totally different sort of thing and he receives christ and is baptized and simon hears the message and he sees the people turning from him to philip's message not to philip but although some of them probably were turning to philip um, because certainly he was not the only false conversion involved but they're uh, they're turning from him to the gospel catches his attention he believes and is baptized also so both simon and the ethiopian are responding the same way outwardly to identify with the church choosing to to um to be baptized in this initiation right if we can call it that um as they're identifying with the death and resurrection of christ but only one of these two actually uh, is filled with joy and saved. You know, as you, as you look at how um, Luke describes at the very end of chapter 8, the way he describes this uh, Ethiopian, um, verses 38 to 40, the Ethiopian had, had just uh, said, hey, there's water here, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but, notice this, went on his way rejoicing. Okay, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about uh, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Contrast that with what Peter says in verse um, verse. 
20 to 23 about Simon. Okay, so uh, Peter and John show up bringing apostolic authority on behalf of the church. They come, they lay their hands on uh, these new believers in Samaria, and they are now manifesting the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so when Simon sees this, he's still, you know, taken by the wonders. He's, he's wow, hey, I want, I want to get in on this. Uh, the same kind of mentality that had uh, demonstrated or that, that had manifested itself in his, uh, I want to say ministry because of Christian background, but that's not really, it's not really ministry, but in his um, operation as a sorcerer in Samaria throughout this whole time, uh, he, he's operating from the flesh, from this idea that, that power and celebrity gives me a platform and I can gain influence. Well, he still has that same attitude as he sees them laying on hands. So then uh, verse 20, Peter answered, again, contrast this with what we just read about the rejoicing uh, Ethiopian. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Notice this. I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So the change that is wrought from being born again in Christ leads out of bitterness and sin's captivity into rejoicing, into a life of realizing I was dead and Christ made me alive. This is the source of Christian joy. And, and I think this is where far too often in the church, we end up still, still blinded and still living as if we were, uh, as if we were not saved, as if we were not converted, because we lose sight of the fact that our whole joy, everything that we get, everything that this eunuch sees, everything that changed the, the disciples uh, when they received the Holy Spirit was, wait a minute, I, I'm a sinner. I have no business even hoping or expecting any kind of happiness in, in a world run by a sovereign and holy God. If, if this is true, and I'm dead in my sin, but God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die in my place, how can I not be overwhelmed by that fact? How can I not be just so consumed with the reality that it's, it's God's mercy and grace poured out to me even that, that I can have a conversation with him, that I'm able to pray to him. And notice the difference, by the way, in the prayer. Peter says, pray to the Lord, repent and, and, and pray and ask him to forgive you. And <laughs> Simon, we don't hear, we don't see anything further in the conversation. We don't see anything that happens afterwards. So we don't get a picture of him repenting. But he doesn't say, oh, you're so right. I'm going to pray to the Lord he still doesn't see the Lord as his. Hmm. So he asked Peter to pray for him. You pray for me. So not so that I can be saved, but pray for me so that I don't get caught in this bad whirlwind you're talking about. Right. Now, as we talked about a little bit on Sunday, fear of judgment is, that's reasonable, it's rational, it's a good place to start, it's a good springboard for our faith. The desire for God's benefits is, exhorted that that's something that that is encouraged in the scriptures that we should remember the benefits of walking with the lord 
and it's the the Old Testament in particular is replete with that. We I think on go ahead. go ahead. I think on the surface, uh, thinking that or or the way you're you're saying that, it can seem like a fleshly thing. Like yeah. I only want I only want God because of what He can give me. Oh man, I just happened to have been reading in uh, John Piper's Desiring God, and uh, in the very first. Uh, you said, oh man, I thought something was wrong. <laughs> no, no, you just, as you said that, it kind of struck me. Um, the, one of the very first, very beginning of, of what we see in this book, uh, I can't remember if it was in the introduction. No, I think it was in the first chapter. Um, it, it's talking about how we actually must be pursuing, it's actually unbiblical for us not to pursue uh, our own happiness because we're, we're seeing this happiness in God as well. Um, where do we see it? I get all excited. And then I, I was going to read it to you and I can't read it to you because I can't find it, but it's, it was right in the very beginning here. Um, oh, well, I will read from the, from his introduction in, in his five points of why Christian hedonism is a philosophy of life built on uh, on scriptural things, and so this idea that he has behind it is uh, the, are these five things. One, the longing to be happy is a universal human experience, and it is good, not sinful. I think maybe we miss out on this. Like you said, it seems so fleshly. Like we've sold. It we've seems very selfish. Goods that we should be ascetics and 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 constantly. Uh, stripping away anything if it's you know if it's good it must be sinful and and we even you know we use that in recipes for sinfully delicious brownies and you know we want to portray anything pleasurable as sinful and anything sinful as pleasurable that's the opposite of what we see in scripture anyway uh piper writes one the longing to be happy is a universal human experience and it is good not sinful two we should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. Three, the deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God, not from God, but in God. I think that's a huge point. Yeah. I'm going to read that again because I think it's so important. The deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God, not from God, but in God. For the happiness we find in God reaches its consummation when it is shared with others in the manifold ways of love. In other words, the happiness we find in God is expressed and finds its fullness in our, uh, in our sharing that love with others, sharing that happiness with others by expressing the, the various uh, forms of God's love. Uh, five, to the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure— we fail to honor God and love people. Hmm. I think, I think uh, numbers number two and three stick out to me the most there. Because Can you read number two again? Uh, we should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, yeah. we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. 
and then I feel like from there it's dot 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 into number three that <laughs> the deepest is... most enduring happiness is found only in God not from God but in God right you should pursue this and P.S. it's God <laughs> yeah well, um, and number five uh, to the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure we fail to honor God and love people or he says to put it positively the pursuit of pleasure is a necessary part of all worship and virtue that is the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Uh, the Westminster Catechism would say, and enjoy him forever. His, uh, his reworking of that based on these ideas is that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And I, I think that's really a pretty powerful thing. In fact, uh, in the book, uh, Piper will refer to C.S. Lewis as the weight of glory. And, uh, and it, you know, I've, it's one of my favorite pictures of how far short we fall of, of understanding true joy and, and the pleasure of knowing God. And, and Lewis uh, brings out the idea that, that it's not, God doesn't see our desires as too big, but too small. That, that we are fooling about with sex and drink and, and all these things that, that seem pleasurable, but they're not. It, it, we're they're small and, and we're missing out on the vastness of joy and happiness that God wants us to be experiencing much like a, a child in the slums in the ghetto um, playing about at, at mud pies right. because well, that's all there is. And he can't imagine the offer of a holiday at the sea. And so well, and doesn't he passed that... up a holiday at the sea to mess around in, in the gutter. Right. And doesn't that explain a lot as to, the overall mental health state of our world and how people are just, I mean, depression, I write about it all the time. How is the number one, you know, mental health condition in the world and people just aren't happy and people are seeking happiness in different ways. And I mean, I do that too. I think, Oh, I'll get a new, whatever. Uh, I'll go shopping and I, there's a little, you know, retail therapy or whatever and you That's feel right. good you feel good for oh, i'll have a piece of cake and i'll feel good for a while but it's not it's always just fleeting and so you're constantly searching for the next thing that's going to give you a few moments of happiness but it never lasts you know that's one of the things i think the devil lies to us about and we we buy it boy we are so into fixing depression and fixing anxiety mm -hmm. and you know raising self-esteem and pursuing happiness. And, and I've been accused, you've, you've heard me be accused of, you know, preaching that God uh, doesn't care about, you know, us because I've said repeatedly, God is not primarily interested in our happiness, but in our holiness. And I will continue to say that because I think that's very much the case. When we, when we are focused on seeking after our happiness, fixing our emotional state, whatever that might be, depression, anxiety, you know, all the different things. When we're primarily focused on, on that, then we will continue to fill the gap with cheap imitations. And it will it, never be fully filled. We'll never find it. It's like trying to nail jello to the wall. But if we will find it's a waste our, of jello. <laughs> if we will find our happiness, our, find our joy in God, not looking for it from God so that we measure God's goodness and his love by what he gives us or what he delivers us from. And we see it primarily as focused through the lens of how God relates to us. 
if we'll get past that and find our happiness in him rather than from, from him, then we will find that it, it's overwhelming. It's more happiness. It's purer. It's purer. It's more enduring than we could have ever imagined. But if we're continuing to see that happiness as the end goal, our happiness as the end goal, rather than this is a byproduct of seeking him. I need Christ. I need to seek God. When I, when I find myself in him, then that perfect love drives out the darkness. It drives mm-hmm. out the fear and the depression. And so you know, that, that reminds me of, you know, the old, I guess the old stereotype of maybe a, a separated or divorced couple with a child, a young child, and maybe one parent showers that child with gifts or gets them stuff or is fun all the time and takes them places and goes here and there. And the other parent is more of the, you know, maybe they're more strict with them. They're the disciplinarian They're but they're always sure. there. They're running them here and there to their school things and whatever. And I think it's at, it for a child uh, at a young age, you know, what kid's not going to like a new toy or to go do something fun or whatever. But I think as, as children get older in those situations, they eventually realize that their, that their happiness, their contentment, their comfort, their love was in that parent who was always there, maybe not at the time, giving them everything they wanted, but guiding them in the right ways, even if it hurt sometimes or even if it wasn't fun sometimes. And I think it helps me a lot to look at my relationship with God as a, as a parent child relationship. And so seeing things like that, the illustrations like that in real life, uh, I think help me to understand things a little better, like this particular situation that we're talking about today. And that's one of the key reasons that God gives us the family is we have this so that in when it plays well, when it plays poorly, we can still see a picture. We see this image of our relationship with God. And that's, that's the, the picture that family is designed to give us. That's the picture that church is designed to give us to be able to see the interaction of God with his people. But if the focus is God has to take care of me, God right. has to answer my prayers or I'm not, gonna, you know, I'm not going to follow him because that's going to somehow really stop God from being God. It's going to really punish him. That's right. kind of like the, the, the teenager, you know, slamming the door, you hate me because you didn't get your way. Or the, right. you know, the elementary school student stomping their feet and throwing a fit because they right. didn't get the ice cream or they didn't get whatever special thing they thought they should have. Right. And you must not love me if you don't give me exactly what I want. But right. the most loving parent never, never concerns themselves primarily with giving the children what they want. The loving parent always concerns themselves, no matter how desperately we want our children to be happy, because we do. We, right. I, I, with all five of my kids, I want so desperately for them to have success and mm-hmm. glory and happiness and peace and wealth and prosperity. I want all these. And I, I mean, are, you have grown children. I have a two-year-old and I, I want to give him, I want to give him gifts and I want to you know, do things like that. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to let him, you know, uh, play with a knife in the kitchen if he wants well, that, to. That's a huge issue because 
the loving parent sees what is best for the child, not just what the child wants. And this really goes back to what we talked about last week with God's right. surprising sovereignty in our suffering. But as we're working through this idea of who God is, that's kind of what leads us into these responses. The, the Ethiopian receives God on God's terms. He sees mm-hmm. this picture of the gospel. Philip lays it out for him, and he, he chooses Christ and goes away rejoicing. But Simon, on the other hand, he's still, he wants the benefits. He wants Christianity. Right. He doesn't necessarily want Christ. That's the, that's the difference. We so often want, and we sell it this way. You know, phenomenal I, cosmic powers. Well, yeah. It, <laughs> and I use the term sell intentionally. We sell Christianity this way that, you know, we're going to package this that, Oh, if you'll just come to church, your life will be better. If you'll, right. if, you know, if you'll come to church, then you'll find just the right mate to to marry. If you'll be a good little uh, youth group kid, then you know your life will turn out just right. Everything will be great. And you know, don't smoke and don't chew and don't go with girls that do. And you know, if you if you don't do drugs and you don't have sex before you're married and all that kind of stuff, then everything's going to work out perfectly. And it's a very utilitarian. Uh, religious approach, which is not at all what the Bible teaches about our faith. The, the way is Christ. It's not that Christ is the way to a better life. It's Christ is the better life. He is the truth, the life, the way. He is, he is the goal. He is he's the whole thing. And when we seek him, when we seek our highest pleasure, our most enduring happiness, it can only be found not from him, but in him. And so that, you know, is really our our core reality from the sermon was saving faith involves a confession of the heart, not a profession of the mouth. It doesn't matter just what you say, what you say does matter, but that's, it matters because it's a reflection of something inside. And, and so confession is speaking out what is within. Profession is merely speaking out. It may or may not be within. And we need to be aware you of You can that. profess anything you want. Absolutely. If I, you know, if I ride up on my mighty steed to a Muslim in the Holy Lands and I put my, my sword of power against their throat and say, I demand that you confess Christ, I, that, that you... Uh, you know, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or I'm going to take your head off. And they say, okay, I'm in. They have professed something, but they haven't confessed anything because no external coercion can change a heart. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his mercy, his compassion to us. The grace of God given to us in Christ is what leads us out of darkness into light. And so uh, as we you know, whatever perspective we take, whatever background we're coming from, whatever framework we're using, if we don't burn all of that, if we're not burning the ships, no going back, no, no option, no, no, let's try Jesus. There's a thing back in the seventies, you know, try Jesus. If, uh, you know, if you don't like him, the devil will always take you back. You've missed the point. If it's just trying Jesus, if we're going to taste him like a Coke, Pepsi taste test thing, then we really don't know him. Mm -hmm. And the only way for us to really try Jesus is to be all in. 
to say, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done. All right. There's no Before dipping your toe in the water. Right. There's nothing else. And until we do that, then we're still in the Simon the Sorcerer category. We've said the things. Maybe we got wet in our baptism, but we haven't been converted. We haven't been reborn. The Ethiopian, even if there were no water there, he gives himself to Christ. That's why he wants the water. That's a big deal. And yeah. sometimes that can come. Notice that, that it's unusual that we see a baptism by itself. And the Ethiopian here is baptized in, you know, essentially a small group. They're not with the church, not with a large gathering of believers. It's him and Philip and whoever is with him on his staff there, whoever might be passing by. So they have this baptism. He's doing it because he believes this is what he needs to do. Simon, and this is, I, I'm, I'm, there's a little bit of speculation here, so I, I think it fits the story, but I don't want to be dogmatic about it because I'm speaking uh, beyond in the characterization here. Uh, Philip preaches the gospel in Samaria. The whole crowd uh, turns to Philip. Then, and New King James uses the word, then uh, uh, Simon believes. Simon believes and he's baptized. So he receives the message. He sees that Philip's got something good and he's baptized. But notice this is with a big crowd of people. He's doing what everybody else is doing. And I think there's always danger in that. There's always danger whenever Christianity becomes popular. And in this moment, in this place, it's popular. But it becomes purified when the persecution comes. That's, mm -hmm. you know, the, the folks that, that just uh, were persecuted in Jerusalem and scattered. The test of their faith is they face the persecution. Yes, they scattered, but they never stopped preaching the gospel. They never stopped sharing Christ. When the rubber meets the road or the pudding hits the fan, so to speak, <laughs> when, when things go wrong and everything is against us, that's when the reality of our faith really comes to the forefront. When everybody around us believes ostensibly the same things that we do. When we're in a culturally Christian society where good citizenship is, is portrayed as going to church, uh, you know, if it's a 1950s kind of picture where that's what everybody does right. and you're respected for it, that, that isn't really a test of your faith. Right. That's, that's a test easy of to do. fitting into culture. Right. Because if you don't believe it at all, you're still do those things. Right. Because that's what the culture expects and demands. When it's right. counterculture, which Christianity, true Christianity, the gospel always is, you're going to face opposition. And that's when you see the test. So it has to be something that comes from within, a confession of the heart, not something that we do on the outside that everybody else uh, sees and, and they measure it as good, but God knows better. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like, as I say this every week, but I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot more to talk oh, about. Oh, goodness, here. yeah. <laughs> um, but we are uh, hitting our time here, so we'll stop there for today. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks there's more to talk about here. So as always, if you guys have any questions or comments about uh, what we're talking about today or anything that we've been talking about in the past few weeks, feel free to leave us a message. Uh, you can either, either leave us a voicemail or send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or leave us a message on the Real Life Facebook page. And uh, we'll definitely include any of those in an upcoming episode. So Rich, do you have anything else? I've got lots more, but I think we have time. <laughs> We're out of time. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you later.